So the story is told about a dishonest painter who um, went through the neighborhoods getting hired to paint homes, and, and he was dishonest in that he would add water to, uh, to his cans of paint, uh, thinning out the paint, but allowing him to get more out of each can of paint. And so uh, stretch each can a little further. And so he was in the practice of doing this through all these different homes that he was being hired to paint. And then one day, one morning, out of nowhere, he goes back to one of his clients' homes and he confesses. He comes clean. He says, I, I have to tell you the truth. I have been watering down the paint that I used to paint your home. And I, I've been going back to everybody's home that I did this to. And I'm trying to make it right. So please forgive me and let me redo the paint on your home and everything. And the homeowner was shocked at this display of honesty. He said, well, man, you, you probably could have gotten away with it. And I never would have necessarily known the difference. And he said, but what, what made you have this change of heart what made you turn around and want to come back and and then confess this to me and the painter the dishonest painter said man i i will tell you i had this dream last night and it scared me to death i i was sleeping and an angel came to me and he he pointed his finger at me all angry and he said repaint thinner i know that's pretty bad um but the idea of repentance is where i'm really going i'll try and make you forget that joke quickly but um the idea of repentance repenting. This is a term that sounds archaic, kind of old school, if you will. Um, it's a term that sometimes is really seen in a negative way and it's not received well. And uh, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine asked me if I would post on this subject because in a number of his conversations, the subject of repentance had come up. Uh, I've had conversations revolving around this, this concept, this idea. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, in my own conversations, it would appear that this term has been uh, used in ways that I, I think can be misunderstood by those to whom it is said. First off, again, when you tell someone to repent, uh, it sounds pretty heavy-handed, although the concept itself is a very necessary and biblical one. Uh, oftentimes, the idea of repentance is seen uh, sort of in the context of uh, street preachers with sandwich board signs on saying, repent, the end is near, and megaphones and you know shouting at people on street corners and that kind of thing. Uh, and as a result of that, sometimes uh, the concept of repent or repentance has been received uh, in, a, in a way that I think uh, doesn't necessarily always do justice to the real meaning of this idea and how it fits into a biblical framework in regard to someone coming to a saving faith. What does the idea of repent mean? And is it, in fact, something that we see in Scripture? Uh, we do, obviously, see it a lot in Scripture. It, it appears many, many times throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, the word in the New Testament, in the Greek, metanoia, is a term that means to change your mind. Um, and, and it literally just means that, to change your mind. Now, it is uh, most often used in the New Testament in connection with the idea of repenting from your sin, or uh, in Hebrews, repenting from dead works and that kind of thing. So the concept is clearly a biblical one. As a matter of fact, I'd like to look at a number of passages that, that bear this out and help us get a better understanding of how this concept of changing our mind, having a change of mind about something, and in particular about our sin, uh, or what we thought it meant to be saved, 
uh, previous to our coming to Christ, or if you're watching right now and you're, you've not come to Christ and you're, someone told you to repent and you're not sure you know what it means. Well, I want to take a minute and kind of explain it so we can get a good, solid, biblical understanding of what it is. Uh, and so I'm going to take us through a series of passages. And a good place to start, of course, is in the ministry of Christ early on in the, in the uh, New Testament. Um, matter of fact, you could go even earlier than, than the beginning of Christ's ministry. You could look at John the Baptist. Uh, matter of fact, let's do that. Uh, how about, uh, instead of Matthew, let's go to Luke, uh, first. How about Luke chapter three? Uh, let's see, off the top of my head here, I believe it's Luke chapter three, where John the Baptist is on the scene and people are coming to him to be baptized. Now, baptism, by the way, as kind of an aside, um, is, uh, uh, is a, is something that was practiced during the intertestamental period. It came to, uh, to be sort of a practice even among Jews in regard to the idea of, of confessing your sins and, and starting fresh and that kind of thing. And when John the Baptist uh, begins to uh, perform his ministry, he is baptizing people in a baptism of repentance as it becomes known. Uh, and, uh, and in this particular episode in Luke chapter 3, starting in... Uh, uh, verse 7, let me go ahead and read this. This And then he said to the multitudes, that is John the Baptist, uh, or John the Baptizer, more correctly. It's, so it was not John the part of the denomination called Baptist, but rather he's John who's baptizing. Uh, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers. I'd like to start your ministry with that. People come to hear you and you call them a brood of vipers. But that's what John was like. He pulled no punches. Uh, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. And then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, and uh, saying, What shall we do? And so he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, why read all of that passage if the word repent or repentance shows up early? Well, it shows up early in that passage uh, in connection with the idea of bearing fruits worthy of repentance. And later on in the passage, as we get through it, we realize that what John means by bearing fruit of repentance is to, is to do works that demonstrate that change of mind. In other words, it's not enough that you just say, I believe or I want to change or something like that. The idea is that there is a sense of understanding that what I was doing before was wrong and I need to start thinking differently about that and start doing what's right. Now, let me be very clear about something at this point. Um, the idea of the works that we do having something to do with contributing to our salvation is not what's in view here. This is simply speaking of a recognition of something wrong, recognizing that something is clearly wrong about me and about my behavior, as it would naturally follow, that needs to be addressed. And it starts with a change of mind. Uh, now, I don't want to split hairs between the idea of mind and heart, because both are uh, a change in both is encouraged throughout the New Testament, the difference primarily being that a change of mind means we recognize something that needs to change. A change of heart is something only God can do. So there is a difference between the two, but I'm just not trying to get 
at least at this stage, off into that part of this just yet. I just want to explain what the idea of repentance means first, so that we don't misunderstand it, but we also don't under uh, undermine its importance from a biblical perspective. Um, the idea of a baptism, or in John's baptism of repentance, focused on the idea of people coming to him, acknowledging the wrongness about what they were doing, and his encouragement of them to see that and be wanting to make a change. Now, Jesus, of course, as we're going to look at Matthew 4, I'll just kind of move through this now a little bit because I want to look at a handful of passages. But in Matthew 4, Jesus comes to John and is baptized. And as soon as he comes up out of the water and he begins his ministry, uh, it, the first words that he says, beginning his ministry, are repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is where oftentimes the street preachers get their sandwich board signs from. As Jesus himself encouraged that. He said, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, a change needs to happen because something is on the threshold that you want to be part of. I'm not trying to minimize or make that sound trite, but this is what a change of mind, and this is what we're focusing on, is uh, what the Bible is saying in regard to the importance of a change of mind. Now, this is something, this concept of a change of mind or repentance uh, is something that follows throughout the New Testament, uh, not the least of which is in the ministry of Paul himself. We see Peter saying this. We see, I believe, James uh, speaks of this idea. Uh, we see in the general epistles, but we also see it specifically in Paul's ministry as well uh, as part of his ministry. Uh, we'll look at this in just a moment, but let me speak to what sometimes is uh, creates a misunderstanding when we use the word repent. And it's, it's generally when we hear the word repent used in a statement like, repent of all your sins and believe. Now, if repent of all your sins means acknowledge that you are a sinner, recognize your, 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 the fact that you're lost in sin, even dead in sin, recognizing that, then the idea of repent of all your sins and, and believe, you know, would, would be a sensible, uh, understandable concept. I am acknowledging the fullness of my my sin. But sometimes when we hear that, and this I think is in my own conversations where sometimes the confusion comes up or maybe the misapplication of this concept comes up, uh, is when someone says, repent of all your sins, like you need to almost go back and think about all of the different sins you've committed and go back and repent for each of them. As opposed to recognizing, hey, I am lost and dead in sin. I recognize that. I see that now. Men and brethren, what must I do to be saved, right? So um, so it's important for us to understand that because if, if we're telling people to repent and believe, in other words, acknowledge your sinfulness, and what we mean by that is we need to start enumerating sins. Uh, and there are actually ministries that kind of do that sort of thing, where they, they sort of expect you to think back on each of your sins and sort of repent for each of them somehow. Or maybe show, uh, even show forth works that demonstrate that you've changed your mind about that sin. That, that's impossible to do because, and, and plus it's frankly pretty unhealthy to spend all of your time dwelling on all of the different sins that you've committed. You can just assume and, ex- and, and, and acknowledge simply the truth is that you are a sinner. Now, he, now here's why I, I say that so simply. Because if we understand the gospel, uh, I've been using this kind of way of explaining it lately, um, we need to recognize it's not 
the gospel is not a behavioral modification program. It's not like the gospel just makes us behave better, so therefore we have to go back and look at all the wrong things we've done and start thinking about how I can do each of those things right. That can become massively unhealthy because now we're dwelling on all of our sin. You can know you're a sinner and be broken to the point of recognizing your need for Christ, and you will no doubt think about some of the sinful things you've done and be horrified at them. But we need to understand that we did those things because of what we were, or if you're not a believer yet, what you are right now, and that is dead in sin. It is your nature, and it was our nature prior to knowing Christ to live in sin. It doesn't mean we were the worst that we could possibly be, but it meant that we were prone by our very nature towards sin. It's not uh, that we were basically good, but we just made some mistakes and need to be cleared up. No, this that that is a massively light version of what our real problem is. Our actual dilemma is that we are dead in sin. We are uh, we are wicked by nature. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, the Lord spoke through Jeremiah. And so to recognize that this is what we are, Isaiah would say, are all of our filthiness is, uh, all of our righteousness, I should say, is as filthy rags. Uh, the kinds of things that you would never hold up and say, look what I did, like you were proud of it. You, if you saw it for what it really is, and it is what it is because of the motivations that come from a heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know it. If you saw it for what it was, you'd recognize that in you, that is in your flesh, no good thing dwells, to quote Paul. So to acknowledge that you are a sinner is what uh, is what finally brings us to the idea of repentance. I don't want to be that anymore. It's not just that I don't want to do those things. I don't want to do those things anymore. I don't even want to be that anymore. And that's where the gospel really hits its mark. Because the gospel is not just about changing our behavior. It's about making us a new creation in Christ. Paul says this in, in 2 Corinthians two, Second Corinthians 5, 17, when he says, If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And so now you, you, you are given by God a new nature that now can do battle against the flesh. You, when, when Paul later would say, walk, or earlier really would say, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the, or he calls us to walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That becomes a potential reality for us because we have in, in, uh, dwelling within us now the Holy Spirit. We have a new nature. But that is the fundamental changing power of the gospel. So when we say repent of all your sins, and what we mean by that is that you go back and sort of change your mind about every one of your sins, yes, we do want to change our mind about all of our sinfulness. But I would suggest that if the requirement is that you go back and think about every sin you've ever committed, uh, or you leave somebody believing that's what you have to somehow do, well, you'll never get to the end of that list. It's an impossibility. Rather instead, we never see, we never see Paul or, or Peter or, or James or John or anybody going through and giving a full list of every kind of sin that had been committed. We do see some sins named in some of the things Paul has to say, but we don't, we don't see like this attempt to lay out a whole long list of your sins personally that you need to go back to. I'm not minimizing those things, but I'm saying the important thing to recognize is that you are, by definition, a sinner, hopeless outside of the finished work of Christ being applied to you. 
And that's what happens when we repent, realize that we need to change, and then we receive and believe, we believe and receive the gospel. That is the grace of God through the finished work of Christ Jesus, not of works. It's it's uh, it's it's the gift of God, right? It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, no righteousness is achieved through the law. If that were possible, then Christ died for nothing. And that's what Paul says in Galatians 2.21. So Paul makes this a hallmark of his ministry. As a matter of fact, in places like Acts, for example, um, in uh, in the earlier part of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul calls the Ephesian elders together uh, before he ultimately departs, he calls them to Miletus to meet with him, and he talks about what his ministry was. In verse 20, he says, uh, uh, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying of Jews and also to, or to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, changing my mind from what I was to what I now know I, sh- I need to be and ultimately coming to Christ. Um, later on in chapter 26, when he's talking before uh, the Gentile king Agrippa, um, well, the sort of mixed king, Agrippa. But he says here, by declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Very much echoing like John the Baptist had said prior to the resurrection. Paul here carries this same concept of repentance and fruit being born of that as a result of your having come to Christ. If there's a legitimate change of mind, and of course coupled with a change of heart, there's going to be a life that reflects that change. Again, we're not saying that you're saved by those works, but rather, again, your salvation produces those works in, the, in through the life of a heart that has been genuinely changed. Uh, elsewhere, Paul in Romans, he says, do you dis- in Romans 2.4, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? In other words, it is God's desire that we have this moment of repentance. Uh, and not just moment, but any time we do things that are an offense to him, we should change our minds about that and see that for what it is and decide to do differently. Um, but it is ultimately the seeing of God's goodness that leads us to the point of realizing that we were wrong, that we need to change our thinking, that we need to, and that begins this idea then of, uh, or is this idea of repentance that then leads to ultimately salvation um, by, you know, as we come to Christ by faith. Uh, another one, just one more here in um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, at the end of chapter 12, verse 20. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there, uh, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness. Uh, fornication and lewdness which they have practiced. Um, Paul's desire is that those he poured himself into for a year and a half, the church in Corinth, would have a change of mind about the ways that they have been behaving. And his fear is that he's going to come back and see them. And there are reasons why this concern is legitimate on his part. He's going to come back and find them still in this condition where they've not acknowledged the wrong in what they're doing. Now, it is possible for both a non-believer to recognize and repent from what they are as a sinner, realizing the wrongness of what their life is all about and ultimately coming to faith in Christ. But it's also possible for believers to repent of that behavior that they, uh, that they, that they are doing that is an offense to God. It is not 
that you're losing your salvation as a believer, but why would you want to knowingly, once you're confronted with, with your sinful behavior, and yes, Christians can perform sinful behavior. Uh, the Corinthian church is, provides ample uh, evidence of this. He's talking to believers here when he, when he writes these things. Uh, believers can be confronted with the sinful nature of their activities and have to therefore repent or, again, change their minds, change our minds about what we're doing, and instead walk in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, or not to live in a way that we know is offending our God and uh, our God and Father. And so uh, the idea of repentance ought not to be seen as a negative idea for a believer uh, a believer wants to be shown by God when we're living in ways that are an offense to him again we are beyond now the idea of um, of, of, of our salvation question matter of fact in Hebrews that's what the passage is saying moving away from rudimentary ideas like the repentance from dead works and that that's foundational fundamental we don't need to just talk about that we should be maturing past the idea of living in such a way that we would have to be like, wow, Lord, please help me to stop thinking this way or to stop acting this way or whatever the case might be. So repentance is a good thing. Repentance is something that all believers should embrace. The idea of of coming before the Lord and saying, please, oh man, I recognize now what I'm doing is wrong and this needs to change. Uh, and thankfully, the grace of God, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, super abounds. And so we don't have to worry that we're going we're gonna to lose our salvation because I'm, I stumbled here, I stumbled there in, in some way of thinking or acting or something. But rather instead we come because we know that God is gracious. We know that he's not holding this sin over us because Christ has taken this all upon himself. But we ought not feel okay with sin but rather we should want to change our thinking about that and therefore our behavior. Um, Paul said in, in uh, Romans 6, you know, should we sin all the more that grace may abound all the more? God forbid, heaven forbid. You know, in other words, our thinking should not be that. It should be the recognition of the value and beauty of walking in holiness as it honors God. Uh, that's why Jesus would say, be holy as your heavenly Father is, is, heaven, or, uh, is holy or is perfect or mature, such thing. The idea is growing into that Christ-likeness or being more like your Father in heaven uh, as, as these ideas are put forth in the scripture. So, uh, so repentance, an important topic to talk about and to understand and embrace. Not to misunderstand, but rather to understand, to recognize repentance as being an important integral part of what it means to walk daily with Christ. We want to make sure that every day, as we are continually laying ourselves on the altar, Romans 12, 1 and 2, being uh, conformed by the renewing of our minds, right? Uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds, not being conformed to the world. This idea is something that flows naturally throughout the Scripture, Old and New Testament. We have the benefit in the New Testament of recognizing the finished work of Christ and, and that our salvation is by faith. And once that issue is settled, it's done. But we ought not minimize the importance of making sure that daily we ask him to help our even our thinking to be in line with his. This is a good thing. When it's not, we want to repent or change our minds about that. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, uh, it's a great topic to spend time on. As a matter of fact, if you want to do a word study through the New Testament, that's a great, or through the scripture, really, that's a great study in itself. So, but this is just sort of a little 
mouthful of, uh, of, a, of a whole meal worth of great content, scripturally speaking, on the subject. So praise the Lord. Thanks for asking the question and uh, requesting a, a post on this. I'm glad to talk about this. this is a good one. So, Father, we just uh, thank you for your word's clarity on the importance of thinking like Christ, of allowing our minds to be transformed, renewed, uh, as we lay ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, uh, holy and acceptable, our spiritual act of worship. Uh, we do pray that if there are things about our behavior, about even the way we're thinking about things, change our minds about this. Help us to be willing to, to, to let you do this work in our lives that would make us more like Christ and that we would stop walking in ways, behaving in ways, or even, again, thinking in ways that don't honor you or glorify you, that don't reflect the work that you're doing in our lives and the work that you've done in changing us and making us new creations. We thank you for your grace and your patience and your long-suffering and your kindness that even leads us to repentance. We thank you for the goodness that you demonstrate uh, and that it leads us to a place of, of wanting to be more like Jesus. So where we're not, help us to change our minds in this regard. Father, we love you and thank you that you are the owner of our hearts as believers. You're the one who has grabbed a hold of us, has gripped us with the gospel, and now Christ lives within us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We pray that, Lord, as he convicts, as the Holy Spirit brings that conviction to us, that we would listen and respond accordingly to it and repent. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for the beautiful gift of salvation accomplished fully by the finished work of of Christ and through your grace alone. And, Father, we thank you that uh, even as believers, we don't have to ever fear losing our salvation, but rather instead, we can know that our relationship with you is secure, even as we grow and mature uh, through this beautiful process of sanctification. Thank you, Lord. We love you and bless you, and thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have any questions or thoughts or anything, you want to share them in the comments section, or if you want to email me at info at Calvary Chapel Franklin, that would be awesome. And uh, thanks for watching and listening as always. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever.